And this is Dan. Together we pastor Hope Culture Church in Elgin, Illinois. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We hope it encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. Good morning. First things first. I'm excited about this series. I'm excited to kick off the year talking about it. Um, I loved Allison's encouragement. Join the dream team. Serve with some of the most amazing people around. I love how she forgot a crew. And then I heard somebody from the production team yell, production team. That's so funny. They're like, join our crew. Um, Everybody all the crews are great. You'll love all of them, no matter which one you join. Uh, I truly believe this will be our best year yet, if it's our best year yet spiritually. But that comes with like an asterisk next to it, you know? That is not a, hey, everything in your life is going to go perfectly if you follow God. That is absolutely not what I'm saying. And if you've been around our church long enough, you know that we we don't say when you follow God, everything goes perfectly. We say when you follow God, he's with you every step of the way. And that makes all the difference in the world. It will be your best year yet spiritually when you pursue him and when you put him first. And when it's your best year spiritually, I truly believe you'll look back on it and say, this was my best year. I don't know what this year holds for us. I don't know each and every one of us what's going to happen over the next 12 months. But I do know that putting God first will not be something we regret. That seeking him above all else isn't something we're going to say, well, I wish I wouldn't have done that. None of us are going to get to the end of the year and think that. I think the only regret we'll have is, is not putting him more central in our life. You know, Matthew, when he's recording Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, talks about how Jesus is talking about things we worry about. Money, clothes, what's going to happen tomorrow, all of these things that consume and occupy our mind. The thing that we naturally do is whatever's on our mind is, is what we focus on and spend our time and effort on. You know, it begins to move up the priority list, whether we want it to or not. It could be a good thing. It could be a bad thing. It just starts to take up more space, whatever we're worried about. Well, Jesus' encouragement is instead of worrying about those things, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first. Jesus' solution for our worry is changing our priority. I don't know. Maybe we're heading into this year and there's something occupying your mind. There's something taking up a lot of space. Jesus' response to that is encouraging us, prioritize me first. Put me first. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So we're going to try to do that. As a church, we're going to start our day with him, daily spending time with him in the word. We're going to start our week with him, prioritizing community, gathering together in worship. We're going to start our budget with him. We're going to start our year with him. We're going to start the year with prayer and fasting. Today we're talking about fasting. Why do we fast? What happens when we fast? Some of you have already decided I'm not fasting, (laughs) and that's okay. I'll try to change your mind over the next 30 minutes or so. But you actually like maybe have that rebellious nature where you're like, well, I'm going to fast, but I'm not going to fast when you tell me to. I'm going to eat extra donuts at church that week, or I don't know what it is. There's something inside of us, though, that does want to resist fasting. That's natural. Who wants to give up something? Who wants to give up food? Like, we all love food. Food is delicious. And so as we head into the year, though, I do want to encourage us as a church to set aside seven days for prayer and fasting. We're going to start next Sunday. We're going to give you a whole week to prepare for it, a whole week for the Holy Spirit to convict you and say, this is what I want you to do. So next Sunday, we're kicking off seven days of prayer and fasting. This is your warning. We'll keep reminding you, and we're going to go through the next Sunday. Um, What is fasting? Fasting is abstaining from food for a spiritual purpose. 
It's abstaining from food for a spiritual purpose. It's more than, you know, intermittent fasting for health. It's more than just doing it for a detox. Those things are good. It's actually intended for a spiritual purpose. It's giving something up. It's biblical self-denial is different than the world's self-betterment. Sometimes those practices, those habits overlap. You know, people, intermittent fasting is like trending right now. It's something cool to do, and it's great. If you want to do it for health reasons, good. We're specifically talking about the spiritual application, though. Self-denial is better than self-betterment. We're talking about denying ourselves. And I want us to think about that in two areas. Biblical fasting is about food. Um, There is fasting, though, that's like a soul fast, where you give up something else. So I'm asking you to consider giving up food and media. Food and media for seven days. And you're like, is that all food and all media? No, this is what I'm saying. Get alone with God this week. You have seven days to decide what this means for you. Maybe it is one meal. Maybe it's just a certain type of food. Maybe it's like the Daniel fast. Daniel, he, he has a whole book of the Bible in the Old Testament. He goes on the Daniel fast, which is basically him saying, I will eat no choice food is the way he phrases it. Basically, if he tastes good, he's not going to eat it. He's like, no meat, no wine, none of the good stuff, just like vegetables. Um, maybe that's what you want to do. Or maybe you're like, I'm going to skip breakfast three days that week. Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast a whole day on Wednesday or whatever it looks like. Give up some form of food for some amount of time during that seven days. And then also media. It's just good for us to turn off some of the noise. The reason I want us to do this is because when we come to prayer and fasting corporately, the idea is that prayer connects us to God and fasting disconnects us from the world. That prayer is our way of saying, God, I want to hear from you. This is a two-way conversation. And fasting quiets all of the other voices, including our own. So I want us to give up some media. Maybe you need to turn off the news for the week. Maybe you need to log out of social media. Maybe you need to, whatever that looks like for you, no TV, some of the days, all the days, the whole week. Some form of food, some form of media for some amount of time during those seven days is between you and God. I wrote this in my notes too because this just popped in my head this week. We won't fast in heaven. Like Jesus even talks about fasting. He's like, there's a time you fast and a time you don't fast. And you don't fast when, you know, he's here. And I was just thinking like, our only opportunity to fast is is this life. And it's a time where we're denying ourselves to say, God, we want more of you. And so what I want to do is spend the next bit talking about what happens when we fast or why should I fast? My notes went from like three things all the way up to 10 things and then back down to five things. Uh, And it's not that I thought those things weren't important anymore. I was just like, I can only realistically cover so much. So I have four things. We have four things this morning that we're going to talk about. Four is a reasonable number. You know, 10, we're going too fast. You're like, none of that sunk in. And, you know, four, four was good. The first one is relationship. We fast to increase and make our relationship with God better. Just to be closer to him. Intimacy with God. This is why you were created. You were created for a relationship with God. He put you on earth to worship him and to know him and, and to be known by him. And intentional time of prayer and fasting intensifies that relationship. I like to think of fasting as going on, you know, like an extended vacation with your spouse if you're married. It's like date night is good. I have regular time with God. I have regular time with my spouse. Like those morning appointments with God are my date nights with him. But when I spend an extended time of prayer and fasting, it's like when you get away. There's just something different that happens in your relationship. When you set aside time just for each other. Fasting and prayer is a time to set aside time and say, God, it's me and you. 
What do you have for me? What do you want to speak to me? What do you need? James 4 verse 8 says, Come near to God and he will come near to you. I don't know anybody who doesn't want God to come near to them this year. Who doesn't want the nearness and presence of God in their life. I know I do. I desperately do. I want more of God in my life this year. And he says, come near to me and I will come near to you. Maybe you're actually in a season where you want that intimacy with God. Like you remember, you have recollections of different moments of your relationship with him where you're like, I was so on fire or whatever your language is for it. You're like, I was so hungry and desperate for God or I was so close to him. And you're like, it's not the same right now. You miss it. Or maybe you actually even feel like spiritually stagnant. I don't know if you feel like that right now or if you felt like that before. There's seasons of our Christian life where we ebb and flow with how close we feel to God. I was reading this week about the doldrums. Anybody heard of the doldrums? Yeah? They're the, that middle belt around the equator of the earth where all of the winds and the seas meet and it leads to very still waters. This is what Google said. The term doldrums was the name given to a low-pressure belt around the earth near the equator where sailing ships were often trapped on windless waters. I felt like that was a good metaphor for how we sometimes feel in our spiritual life. Like we're just stuck. There's nothing propelling us forward. There's, there's stagnancy. And it says stranded sailors would grow frustrated and deeply depressed. Today, the dictionary calls doldrums a period of stagnation or slump. Maybe that's how you feel as you start the year. A little stagnant. Not that you want to be. It's just where you find yourself in your relationship with God. Fasting is an invitation for a breath of heaven's fresh air. Fresh wind. In fact, when we think and sing songs like, Holy Spirit, come, and God, we want more of you. We need your presence. When you're inviting the Holy Spirit, you're actually inviting God's breath. The word for spirit in both the Old Testament and New Testament means wind or breath. In the Old Testament, it's ruach. It's just wind, breath. In the New Testament, it's pneuma. You need some fresh air in your relationship with God. You just need the Holy Spirit to move. Maybe you even aren't in that stale place. You are in a good place with God, but you still want that refreshment. You still need that, that recharge in your relationship. Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. We're setting the time aside for prayer and fasting to say, God, we're intentionally and more passionately seeking you. We're going to put you first this year. We're going to put you before everything else on the calendar. We're going to set aside some time to pursue you. As we seek him, we will find him. As we draw near to him, he does draw near to us. He breathes in that fresh life. I like that Ezra, he, he says he proclaimed a fast. This is Ezra chapter 8, 21 to 23. Uh, I proclaimed a fast so we might humble ourselves before our God. That there's something that happens too when that that relational uh, closeness and intimacy comes back, that we remember who he actually is. That as we draw near to him, we have this sense of awe that returns and wonder that returns. And you just are, are struck with how good he is. And there's a humbling experience to that. That you, you remember your place in that relationship. 
humility comes in. It says that he did it. He called this fast to humble before God. And he said, we were asking him for a safe journey. He's like, he's, what you've done before you go on a road trip. You're like, God, would we get there safely? Ezra's like, we wanted a safe journey for us and our children with all the possessions. I was ashamed to ask the king um, for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from the enemies because we had told the king. He's like, I was a little embarrassed. I'd already told the king, God's for us. So I didn't want to go ask him for help. He's like, the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him, but his great anger is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and petitioned our God about this, and he answered our prayer. There's, there's this time where we're refreshing our relationship with God, humbling ourselves before him, and just saying, God, we're asking for your blessing. We're asking for your favor. We're asking for your nearness this year. We humble ourselves. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. The Bible repeats that a few different times, that he gives grace to the humble. That fasting, as it, it humbles us before him, invites the grace of God in our lives. Psalm 35, 13 says, Yet when they were ill, I put on sackcloth and humbled myself with fasting, getting before him. That closeness and relationship quiets our heart, disconnects us from the world so that we can hear from God. Which brings us to our second point. That, that relational closeness comes, and when we're there, we, we get clarity. We get clarity. I don't know about you, but I love clarity from God, and I often don't have it. I'm often like, I don't know exactly what's next. I have a vague idea what you're saying, but it's not totally clear. And I think part of that is just walking by faith. We never have a full picture. But in times of fasting, it gets clearer. Maybe you haven't heard God's voice in a while. Maybe you haven't heard God speak to you ever. I invite you to fast and pray with us. I believe he will speak to you. I know how many of us want God to speak to us. We want, God, we want to be able to discern God's will on a specific thing or what's next for us. If clarity, where are you leading? Maybe you have a decision to make or you're in a relationship. Should I stay in this relationship or should I move or should I switch jobs? Should I quit my job even though I don't know what's next? Or how should I respond? Should I start that business? Should I do this thing? We need clarity. We need wisdom. We need God to speak to us. Acts 13 verse 2 while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. While they were worshiping and fasting. It was during a time of fasting and worshiping, the Holy Spirit said. Do you catch that? It just wasn't random. The Holy Spirit didn't just randomly speak to them. While they were worshiping and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. That God speaks in our quietness. He speaks in our worshiping and in our fasting when we're tuned into him in a different way. Like I said earlier, prayer connects us to God and fasting disconnects us from the world. I like to think of it as putting in noise-canceling headphones. I don't know. I love noise-canceling headphones. If you've never experienced it, they're amazing, especially when you work from home and you have little kids running around. You're trying to get something done. It's like, I can't focus. There's literal screaming in the background. Sometimes happy, sometimes not happy. It's sometimes hard to tell the difference. And so in the headphones go, noise canceling turned on, suddenly peaceful music, and I can focus. Fasting does that for our soul. It quiets the noise and the distraction. 
It helps us hear more clearly, God, what are you speaking to me? Because I've had, I've had moments where I've had confirmation. God, this is what I was thinking you were saying. And I entered a season of fasting. I'm like, yes, that is what you're saying. I've had moments where I, God, this is what I think you're saying. And I start fasting and he says, no, or he says, not now. And I had no idea why until later. And I'm like, oh, that makes so much more sense. But I would have done it on my own if I hadn't stopped and prayed and fasted. Because to me, it made sense. And so I saw another pastor say that our desire, my desire plus my reasoning equals the flesh. So often we just operate out of the flesh, even unintentionally. We just make whatever decision seems best. And instead of saying my desire and my reasoning, I want to say, God, what's your desire? What's your reasoning? What, what do you have for me? I want to hear from you. What's your best? Fasting helps turn down all of the other noise. I was reading this week in, um, in Genesis, and it's the first time that God has ever called El Roy. And maybe you've noticed as you've read through the Old Testament, or maybe you haven't really started reading the Bible consistently yet. That's a great thing to start as we head into a new year. But I was reading, and it's the first time in Scripture God's called El Roy, and it means the God who sees. He sees. He sees what's going on. He sees what's already happened. He knows what you're currently going through. He actually already knows what will happen. Wouldn't you want to invite the God who sees to speak into your life? We have a limited perspective. We can only see from our vantage point, but God sees it all and saying, God, what, what do you see that I don't? What do you have for me? I, I trust you more than I trust myself. God, what do you want to speak? I'm listening. Maybe you know you're headed into a new season. God's already spoke that. You know there's something changing, or you can feel it, but you don't know exactly what it is. It gives you discernment or clarity. It also consecrates you. It sets you aside for that new season. Joshua 3, verse 5, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, set yourselves aside, purify yourselves, one translation says. Why? For tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. God wants to do amazing things in and through you, in your life, through you for others. But it comes with consecration first, saying, God, I want to be set aside to be used by you. I want to be available. I want to hear from you so I know what to do. I want to be in line and in step with your spirit, synced up to what you're doing. I believe that as we do that individually and as we do that as a church family and community, we're going to see God do things we haven't seen before or on scales we haven't seen before. And it's so fun to watch what God does in times of prayer. I have a lot of friends who pray and fast at the beginning of the year, and it's a rhythm and habit that we're, we're used to and we regularly do. And it's so fun every year to reflect and see what God did. So I encourage you, don't just pray and fast. Write down what you're praying for. Journal it. Like, market, like say, I was specifically praying for this person or for wisdom in this area so that when you look back at it, you can be like, man, God did answer that prayer. I didn't even notice. Sometimes it's obvious and you're like, of course, that was definitely God answering that prayer. But sometimes we just keep living life and we miss what God is actually doing through us as he answers our prayers. We want to set aside time to be consecrated to him. The third thing is, is it helps us see others. Fasting helps us see others. I uh, used to wear glasses every day. Now I wear contacts regularly. Um, and one thing that I was very bad at was keeping my glasses clean. 
Abigail would be like, how can you see anything? Your glasses are so dirty. But I wouldn't notice because they're right here in my face. And they got dirty throughout the day. And it's just one of those things that all of a sudden they were dirty, but it was progressive and slow. And I didn't notice it happening. And I felt like mine were abnormally dirty. That's what Abigail would tell me at least. She's like, that is like not a normal amount of like splatter and stuff. Like how did that even happen? But sometimes when something's right in front of you, you, you stop noticing it. You just become blind to it. Fasting reopens your eyes to the world around you. It helps you to see things differently. John Mark Homer, a pastor uh, in the Portland area for a long time, used to always talk about how fasting helps us to identify with the poor. That it reminds us that, hey, it's hard for me to give up one meal or one day of meals. And this is some people's normal. This is regular for some people. I have a headache after skipping one thing, and there's people who who just don't know if they're going to eat anything today. That it reminds us that the world is bigger than what we're, we're experiencing. And I love that Isaiah 58 specifically reminds us of this when fasting. Because yes, fasting humbles us, and that's a regular part of fasting. And yes, fasting leads to breakthrough and intimacy with God and all these things. But fasting also reminds us that it's more than us. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Like humility is part of it. Like we talked about that. But it's not just that. Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed or or laying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this kind of fat, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke and set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call on the Lord and the Lord will answer and you will cry for help and he will say, here am I. I love that. Because so often we're like, I want to fast for the breakthrough. I want to fast so that God will answer my prayer. I want to fast so that I see him move here. I want to fast for the intimacy. I want to fast for all of these things. And Isaiah reminds us, wait, 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 that's good. God wants to do all those things. But don't forget others in the process. Don't forget that God cares about justice. Don't forget that God cares about mercy and compassion. Don't forget about people who are hurting and suffering. He says, when you care about those things and fast, then God hears you. Then God shows up. Then you see light break through. That's when you see the breakthrough that you're praying for. That's when God says, here am I. That's one of the few times you see in scripture where God says, here am I. You know, we see the Old Testament surrender of the prophet where he comes and says, Lord, here am I to God presenting himself. But God is presenting himself to the person fasting in this moment. He says, here am I. God's showing up wanting to break through in your life. And he's saying, yes, seek me and find me, but also don't forget about others. One habit that um, we have some friends that do this, and I think it's a great practice is, well, if you're skipping meals three times next week, or, you know, if you're skipping three days worth of food, just do a quick math. How much money did I save on food this week? Donate that amount to somebody. Somebody you see on the street, or give it to Convoy of Hope, or give it to Feed My Starving Children. It's an easy way to remember 
that, that we can serve and help in the middle of our fast, and that is part of fasting. So fasting helps our relationship with God. It gives us clarity. It helps us hear God's voice more accurately because it quiets down the noise around us. It also reminds us of others that it, it brings them back to the forefront. I think praying for salvation during fasting is a great thing. If you have a family member or a friend that you're just like, God, would you move in their life? Now, that's a great thing, remembering others. And the last thing is breakthrough. Breakthrough. It's breakthrough in multiple ways. It's, it's seeing the breakthrough in that habit that you haven't been able to get rid of or that addiction or that pattern that, that won't seem to go away or it's breakthrough in that thing you've been praying for or breakthrough of, of just something the enemy has a hold on in your life. This is why many of us fast. And there's something that fasting does that starves our flesh. And I don't just mean our body because, yes, we're actually hungry, but I just mean that natural desire we have It starves the flesh and feeds our spirit. This is my number one advice. Anytime somebody comes to me and says, I'm struggling with an addiction, any kind of addiction, I say, fast. Start fasting. Always. That is always. I've said that for years. And it is amazing to me how often they come back and say, wow, I didn't think that was going to work. But I did it because you said to do it. And suddenly I'm no longer doing that thing anymore. Like there's something supernatural about it. There's something that also puts our flesh back in its place that says, no, I'm not just going to live by whatever feels good or sounds good or, or is. It, it reprioritizes that body, soul, spirit, mind and says, no, my spirit is con- in control. I'm not just going to follow anything that sounds nice in the moment. It reprioritizes. That Paul in, in 1 Corinthians talks about running the race. And he, he uses all this imagery of training. He's like, I beat my body so that I can finish well. And just like this imagery of training hard. That training is, is learning to submit your desires to God. Which is why like Daniel in the Daniel fast says, I, I ate no choice food. I'm learning to say no to things that aren't even bad just so that I can make sure I still know how to say no to the flesh. It's a good habit, a good practice. I notice for me, if I go a season without fasting, the first time I fast again is really hard. It's really hard. But then like if I'm in a, a regular pattern of doing it every so often, and I, I try to stay in a pretty consistent habit of at least skipping a, a few meals a, a week and then doing that like once a month or whatever, that's just a, a rhythm for me personally. When I'm regularly doing it, it's much easier. And it's not just because, you know, my body has adapted and there's the physical part of it. There's, there's that. But it's also just I've, I've retrained myself that I can say no. And there's something powerful about that, that when you can start to say no to yourself so that you can say yes to what you want to. Um, Paul has that moment in the New Testament where he says the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I've, I've reflected on that so much, and I've thought about that a lot, and I think that's our default. And I think there are moments, though, where we can say our spirit is willing and our, our flesh is strong. Like, not because, like, the, the bad part of our flesh. I just mean, like, our, our spirit is willing and we're strong enough to do it. Like, there's moments where when we're regularly putting to death our natural desires, we can step into doing what we want most. Because so often we do what we want now instead of doing what we want most. And it's retraining ourselves. It's that breakthrough. 
that's where we were. I got off on a tangent. That wasn't in my notes. That's why it didn't make any sense. Mark 9. You're like, yeah. Uh, see, I'm self-aware. I know when I'm not making sense. All of your eyes glaze over. Whatever. It'll make sense later. The Holy Spirit will interpret it for you. Mark, Mark 9 and Matthew 17 shares the same story. They're talking about the story of a dad who's desperate. Um, it's talking about a son who has an impure spirit, a demonic spirit, and he keeps throwing himself into water and into fire, trying to kill himself because of the spirit. And so the disciples pray and nothing happens. And the Mark 9 version and the Mark 17 version, they, they note different details. Because just like us, when we both watch the same thing happen, we would note different things and talk about different parts of it. And so it's fun to read both of those together. What stands out to Mark and what stands out to Matthew. And they both discuss how they were at a loss. The disciples didn't know what to do and the dad's desperate. And Jesus comes and they're like, will you do this? Can you do this? I think it's the Matthew one where they say, can, can you do this? And Jesus says that he can, but do you believe I can, basically? He's like, do you have faith? It makes it a faith issue. And, you know, Jesus, of course, just speaks the word and the kid's fine. He, it looks like he's almost dead, but then he just gets up and walks and he's set free from the spirit. He's, he finds freedom from that stronghold, from the demonic hold in his life. And, you know, sometimes we get weirded out when it's, it's demonic stuff or Holy Spirit stuff. And we're like, is that for today? Is that not for today? And it is for today. I think it just sometimes looks different because he's sneaky and knows how to show up in our culture. If you read the Gospels, about one third of Jesus' healings and miracles have to do with the demonic. That's a lot, one third of them. But it's not always the same. It's not like every time he prays for this thing, it's always a demon. No, sometimes it's a natural thing and sometimes there is a demonic stronghold behind it. So we don't always know. But the point is that in these stories recorded by Matthew and Mark, both of them lead to a moment where uh, Jesus explains why it didn't happen for the disciples. The disciples pull him away into a separate room and they're like, why, why didn't the demon come out when we did it? Like, we did what you taught us to do earlier. Like you said, speak in your name and we have authority in your name. The, the demons will listen to us in your name. And why didn't it happen? You know, because I'm thinking like they have faith, right? They've already seen it happen. They've seen miracles. They have faith for it. Like if you, if you define faith just as believing God will do it, they actually did expect God to do it. But yet Jesus still equates it to faith. In the Matthew 17 version, he's like, you didn't have enough faith. You have little faith. If you had the faith of a mustard seed, you could move mountains. So that gets you asking the question like, well, what kind of faith is he talking about? Like, that must be a different faith. Like, they believe. And if you read the New Testament, you do actually see different forms of faith showing up. There's, like, the faith that saves you. That's a gift of God. That's not your own faith. That's, Ephesians 2 says that is a free gift. You don't have the faith to muster up to be forgiven by God. That's something he gifted you. Or, or the gift um, to, to serve. Romans 12 talks about serving in accordance to your faith. And there's these ideas of of what is ours and what's from God. And this isn't something that you can muster up. This is something that God gives you. And he tells them in the Mark 9 version, he says, this type only comes out by prayer and fasting. Some manuscripts leave out the and fasting part and just say prayer. Uh, it's one of the few things that, you know, different manuscripts say different things. But the idea is there that 
there is a, a faith element to prayer and fasting. That as we seek God, our faith increases. Not, not on our own merit. It's not like we're earning it. But there's a connection. Because of the same thing in Matthew 17. He says, uh, Because you have so little faith, truly I tell you, if you have the faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move for you. Nothing will be impossible for you. And then in verse 21 is when he says, But this kind never comes out except by prayer and fasting. That there's, there's a connection in Jesus' mind between having enough faith for the breakthrough and prayer and fasting. That those aren't separate ideas for him. That he's like, no, if you, if you have the right kind of faith, that, that will happen. And that right kind of faith comes through moments of prayer and fasting. And this isn't a transactional thing. This isn't going on hunger strike until God answers your prayer. This is a relational thing of drawing near to God. And in that place and in that moment, he gives us greater faith. I think because we see him more clearly. That we're just connected to him. I like to think of it as watching the Olympics. And in the Olympics, there's two different high jumps, right? There's the ones where they just run and jump and bend their back weird and flop over the pole. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, I just want to make sure. You guys all, you had that same look that you had earlier. So they run and they jump. And then there's the pole vault one where they do the same thing. They run and then they stick the pole in the ground and then they do the weird back thing and flip over it. Except they're, no? Yeah, belly first, whatever. The illustration still works, guys. The point is that on the first one, they can only get so high on their own. And the second one, they get much higher with the pole. You know, they're significantly higher. And I think if we're looking for breakthrough in our life, and we've been saying, God, would you move this mountain? I can't get past this obstacle. I can't find freedom in this area. I've been praying for the same thing for a long time. You've just been doing it in your own strength over and over. You're only getting to the same height every time. That Jesus is saying there's certain things that if you want to get past or break through, you need prayer and fasting. That's going to give you the ability to go past it in a way that you wouldn't normally. And so I want to just encourage you, start this year with prayer and fasting. Join us next week for seven days of intensely seeking God, saying, God, I want my relationship to be closer this year. I want to know you better, more intimately. God, I need clarity. I have decisions to make. I need to know what you're speaking to me and where you're leading to me. God, I want to remember others and remember that this isn't just about me and you, that there's other people involved in this. And God, I want to see breakthrough. I want to see prayers answered that I've been praying for a long time, things that I've been circling and I'm still not seeing freedom from or or breakthrough. And God, I just need you to move. I want us to do that. I I can't wait to hear the stories of what God does. I know for us, many significant moments in our life have been marked by prayer and fasting. Like the whole reason we're married is because of prayer and fasting. Um, You know, we were interested in each other and all this stuff, and I was super weird, and I was like, I'm going to fast about it. I told her that. I don't know why I told her that, because I didn't know what I was doing. But then I was like, I'm going to fast about it. She's like, I'll fast about it too. And then, like, God spoke to us and all these things, and now we're married and have three kids, and it's been 10 years, and awesome. And I'm not saying that will happen to you, but I'm just saying God speaks to you in fasting. Or, or the fact that the church is here meeting in the center of Elgin. 
you know, we, we were praying about where to meet. Like we started as a group of 17 of us in our living room and we were praying and having Bible study and being like, we feel like God's starting a church and this is things that are going to happen and all this. And we're like, we need to find a place. This is the middle of the summer. And we're like, we're opening our doors in September. We're like, that's what God told us. We're doing it. We're opening our doors in September. We, everybody's like, okay, cool. Where are we going to meet? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> which is not like the most faith building thing, the most like great. It's not like what they teach you in leadership. Like just say, I don't know. We're like, we don't know. We're like, we've, we've asked a few different places and we've been praying and we just haven't seen it happen yet. And we encouraged the team to fast with us. We prayed and fasted. We're like drawn to this building, but we had already had multiple people, more than one person say, you won't be able to meet there. They actually already told another church that they can't meet in the ballroom. Like, that's a true story. More than one person said, it's not going to happen. But we're like, we kind of just feel like we're supposed to be there. And so we asked the team to fast. We didn't tell them where we were praying about. We knew, the two of us, we were like, we're, we're praying and fasting that God would open this door. And then we had somebody else, another pastor, a friend of ours, who that, during that season of prayer and fasting reached out to us and said, hey, I don't know anything about Elgin. Just this building, I heard about it, and I know you guys are planting there. Have you thought about planting in the center. And I was like, yes. And he's like, well, I just felt like the Lord laid that on my heart. And I was like, well, awesome. And I'm like, we're still praying and we're still fasting. And we come and they say, yes, that is a miracle. Then they say right away, multiple times, well, you can't have Easter here or any of those types of things because we're closed on holidays, which is what we just experienced on New Year's. But we didn't pray and fast about that one. Um, <laughs> Because we're like, none of you are going to come anyways. You're all tired. And to ask you to set up at 645, the setup team's not going to show up. And it's just going to be me. And then, <laughs> but for Easter, we're like, well, we won't, it's Easter. We're going to have Easter where we normally meet. So we're like praying and fasting. Uh, and they had already said no multiple times. And then we came and asked. And they're like, well, if, if somebody on the crew says they'll come and open the doors for you and stay, then Yes. And so we, then we're like, all right, now, now we'll pray and fast for that. And a week later, they're like, yes, you can have Easter here. And just like so many stories of God answering prayers of closed doors or areas that we haven't seen breakthrough, both personally, as a church, just through prayer and fasting. So as much as you might be resistant to fasting and say, this isn't something I want to do, no one wants to fast. But I do think we all want a closer relationship with God. We want more clarity in our lives. We want to remember the people around us that we're called to, and we want breakthrough. So we're inviting you seven days of prayer and fasting starting next week. Pray, ask God this week, God, what does it look like for me? What am I giving up? To what extent? For how long? Stretch yourself a little bit beyond what's comfortable. Will you get a headache? Probably. Will you be hungry? Yes. Jesus was hungry. Jesus fasted from food and water for 40 days in the wilderness. And it, at the end of it, it says, and he was hungry. I mean, Jesus was hungry. We're going to be hungry. It's a natural part of it. But saying, God, what, what do you want me to do next week? And then just committing, saying, I'm going to do that. Maybe tell somebody so you can't back out about it. And you're like, well, aren't we supposed to pray and fast in secret? You know, Matthew talks about how don't let anybody know, like wash your face, all that stuff. Yes. What he's getting that, though, is the motivation behind it. He's saying, don't do it for other people. Don't be like, look how spiritual I am. I'm fasting. In fact, there's multiple times where they're called to a corporate fast. Joel says, gather everybody, assemble the congregation and fast. It's not that no one knows you're fasting. It's that the motivation behind it isn't for other people. So maybe out of accountability, tell your spouse or tell your best friend, this is what I'm giving up. Let's pray. God, we thank you 
that you are good and gracious. God, would you give us both the ability to follow through and clarity on what you want us to fast from? God, we pray that you would speak to us during our time of fasting. God, we pray that we would grow closer to you. God, that we would have that intimacy that we once had, that it would be restored in fresh and new ways. God, I pray that you'd help us to remember and think outside of ourselves in our time of fasting. God, I pray for breakthrough. God, we pray for answered prayers. God, we pray for amazing testimonies, not for our sake, but for yours, for your glory, for your renown. God, that we'd see you move in ways we haven't seen you move yet. We love you and we praise you and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear about what God is doing in your life. To share your story or a prayer request, simply hit contact on our website. You can also support the ministry of Hope Culture Church by visiting hopeculturechurch.com give. We hope you have a great week.